Well, hello there, everyone. This is Dr. Leslie Kernison here with another COVID update for aging adults and their families. What to know for the summer of 2023. Today is June 6, um, 2023, and it's been uh, about four months since I've done an update. So um, thought I would record something because I've been getting some questions about people about what to do now and what to expect for the summer. So here is what I will cover today. I'm going to start by talking about what's changed since the February update. Um, the situation in terms of cases is good. Cases have gone down, but there have been a lot of changes with the uh, federal public health emergency ending, which means that now um, we will need to change a little bit what we do if we want to monitor the COVID situation around us. I'll touch on what's new with COVID vaccines, how to know if you should still take precautions, what are symptoms of COVID now, because it is still going around somewhat, and what to do if you catch it. And I'll finish with you know a few suggestions for a safe summer. Um, so uh, by the end, um, these are some of the frequently asked questions that I'm hoping to address. Uh, is COVID over now or isn't it over now? Uh, if uh, you didn't get the fall booster, should you still bother right now? Um, do we still need to be careful about COVID, how to know what are symptoms of COVID now, and what should you do uh, if you or your aging parent gets COVID? So in terms of what has happened since my last update, which was in February, um, the big news is that the federal public health emergency for COVID ended on May 11th. I talked about this in the previous update because it had been announced several uh, months ago. And um, this has changed, first of all, a lot of the COVID data gathering. That's in part because the CDC during the um, federal public health emergency had the authority to mandate that states send in certain types of information. And they had just a lot more authority to gather information. Uh, and that has ended. Um, it does take uh, money and effort to gather uh, that data. It's also changed some things. Um, and I, if you want to learn more about this, please see the update from February. But the emergency also allowed for flexibility with a lot of rules that um, turned into changes in how many of us were experiencing healthcare, especially regarding telehealth and a couple other flexibilities. And those have changed. Um, but, um, from a practical perspective for COVID, um, you know, the big change since February is that we used to have several websites that would present these dashboards of national COVID data, which included daily cases, even though the cases were inaccurate because many cases weren't reported. We still had a daily number, daily deaths, and those have um, mostly all stopped updating because they're just not getting enough information. Now, there are still some ways to get information. I'm going to show you um, today uh, what they are. The CDC is still gathering data. It's just um, less of it, and there's more of a delay, I would say. Um, in the data getting updated. So this means it's become a little harder to keep track of uh, COVID activity, especially if you're looking for the most recent just-in-time information. Um, and likewise, the World Health Organization ended their public health emergency in early May. Many countries have ended it. Um, so we still have COVID going around. It's just a little um, less easy to find out uh, what the levels are in a given country. Uh, also since February, you know, as part of this, um, you know, winding down in a way of all the attention we had on COVID, many other protective measures um, have been dismantled or really dialed back. So for instance, um, 
masks are no longer required in many health settings. This is often, you know, become something that's up to states or county health departments. Uh, even in nursing homes, masks are often not required. Um, and many hospitals and nursing homes are no longer testing everyone for COVID upon um, admission. Now, they stopped testing everyone for COVID on admission in the UK last fall. And there's an interesting study where they found that there was um, more um, people coming down with COVID in hospitals after that. But this was also last fall when there was a lot more COVID going around, I think, uh, in that fall winter time than um, certainly than we have right now, you know, at the beginning of the summer in the United States. Um, so I, I think these changes are mostly relevant for anyone who is particularly frail or fragile or at high risk uh, for COVID. Um, and I know it's been disappointing for some people in that community to see the protective measures being dialed back. Um, and then also vaccine requirements are being dropped. Um, they've been the federal one for healthcare care um, workers uh, has been dropped. Um, this, I think, makes less of a difference in terms of your safety if you're, you know, going into the hospital, whether the healthcare worker is vaccinated or not. I think it's much more relevant um, the level of masking and the level of ventilation um, for what it's worth. So in terms of the vaccines, uh, this spring, the CDC finally recommended, uh, it was in April, I believe, um, a second Moderna or Pfizer bivalent booster for people who are at higher risk. So they said that um, it was recommended for adults who are age 65 plus, provided it's been at least four months since they had their first bivalent booster. Um, and for immunocompromised adults, provided it's been at least two months after the initial bivalent uh, booster. So uh, for those people out there who feel much better or safer, if they've had a recent booster, that gave them uh, the option to have it. Um, and um, we don't yet have data on whether, you know, what a second booster accomplishes. But in uh, April, the CDC did present at one of their um, meetings. They have the, their group that meets on immunization practices. And if you ever want to sort of get good information on vaccine effectiveness, this is a great resource. Um, they presented data showing that the booster uh, was effective in reducing hospitalizations, but did wane noticeably, especially by four months. So let me show you where you can find that if at some point you, um, uh, would like to find it. Um, so, um, this is actually from your local epidemiologist, um, for anyone who wants to learn more about how the data that's being collected is changing with the end of the public health emergency, this is a really good, um, resource explaining what's changing, not changing, changing a little and changing a lot. But here we have the CDC's advisory committee on immunization practices. Um, so if you go to their page about meetings, you will see information on upcoming meetings and there are the meeting materials for prior ones. So this is the last one they had, which was in April, which was all about COVID um, vaccine effectiveness and uh, safety. So this one right here, vaccine effectiveness updates. Um, here is a slide. So this is from a selection of sites that gather data for the CDC. Um, and they looked at the uh, vaccine effectiveness of the monovalent and the bivalent booster against hospitalization among immunocompetent adults aged 18 plus. What's nice is they break out the data by age 18 to 64 and age greater than 65. And so I'm going to focus on that group there over 65. 
And what you can see is those people who got the original vaccines but didn't get any um uh, and also boosters. So this is, these are monovalent doses only, because as you remember, before last fall, the, there were boosters available and it was just another dose of kind of the original vaccine. Um, so, uh, what you can see here was that the, the vaccine, uh, efficacy against hospitalization was pretty low, 25%, but for people who had gotten boosted within the prior, uh, you know, 59 days, it went up to 64%. Um, but then it drops, you know, uh, with time, right? So this is 60 to 119 days. So this is basically two to four months. It drops to 53 and then it drops further if it's been more than four months. Um, and none of these vaccine efficacy numbers are as high as what we saw when the vaccines first came out where, you know, it was in the sort of like 90% efficacy range. So this is still something. Um, it's just, first of all, it's not a magic shield. So this is what I always tell people who ask me for those people who tell me, I don't want to catch COVID. Should I get another booster? Um, uh, a booster, you know, is going to potentially reduce your chance. Um, well, certainly of getting hospitalized. Um, but, um, but it's not a magic shield and it does wane, which is why, especially if you are at higher risk, uh, it's important to think about staying up to date on those. So I'll post a link to this in um, the related links for this presentation for anyone who wants to take a closer look. This is a good place to learn more about the um, the booster uh, efficacy. Uh, so what will happen next with um, boosters? And a little bit later in um, what I what I have for you, I'll address some frequently asked questions about boosters. Um, the FDA is planning to meet on June 15th to discuss COVID vaccines for the 2023-2024 season. So what it's looking like right now is that they're going to go with a model that's pretty similar to what they do with the flu vaccine, where they um, will kind of formulate a, a vaccine um, for the season and people will get it, you know, in the fall because they're assuming that the most activity will be in, uh, the wintertime. So they're going to meet, uh, this summer to talk about just which strains of COVID should be in there. The, you know, kind of rumors I've heard is probably they won't have the original COVID variant in there anymore. Um, so as you might recall, last fall, they used the um, original strain, which was in the original vaccines that had first come out in December 2020. Um, and then they included an Omicron variant. Um, so they are now going to talk about what they should be including for the upcoming one. Um, we still don't have another major variant that has displaced Omicron. We just keep getting different Omicron subvariants. So my guess is that there will still be Omicron in it, but we will see. So now that all these things have changed at the end of the public health emergency, what are your options if you want to track COVID now? So the big newspapers, for instance, used to have these COVID dashboards. Those have all stopped updating um, generally as of May. Some of them even stopped updating before. So uh, what are your options and um, and possibilities? And by the way, if you find a dashboard, make sure you take a look at it to look at when was the last date um, updated. Um, because if it's been more than, you know, say two weeks, it's probably not being updated uh, anymore. So what are your options? Um, well, let me take you through um, some of the options. Uh, and Hold on one second. 
Um, so what I'm going to take you through right now is the CDC still does have uh, information. It's changed a bit compared to before, but I'll take you through it. There are some wastewater options because wastewater surveillance is continuing. There's the long-term care dashboard, and you can still follow variant proportions. So let's look at some of that together. All right. Okay. So this is the CDC's um, COVID data tracker um, page, the homepage. Um, so what they especially show right here is um, hospitalizations in the past week. And you can see that it's trending down. Now, it says the past week, but there's a lag in the data, right? So this is probably from a week ago. And um, and here they're showing kind of the trend in May. So the trend in May was nice and going down. And this was, uh, here they're reporting the proportion of national deaths that were due to COVID. Um, and then here we have vaccinations. So if you want to see a little bit more, you can view uh, trends. And they say here that they're updating weekly on Thursdays by 8 p.m. Eastern. So here we can see hospitalizations. And what I would focus on, what I usually look at when I'm looking at something like this is the trend and also where we seem to be at compared to some of our other peaks or lulls. Um, so uh, this is a little over a week ago. So this is coming down, which is nice. Um, and it's about, you know, probably comparable to here, maybe a little lower. So this is good. This is, you know, essentially trending towards the lowest that, uh, that we have had. Um, or we can look at the trends in, um, these are, uh, weekly deaths. Now these are in gray because they are less accurate the ones from the past three weeks. So you can see that that is also trending downward. Um, so this is encouraging. Um, and then there's emergency visits. So that is a little bit more, and you can also look at it in, you know, map versions. So hospitalizations and deaths, um, as you may know, are what we call a lagging indicator. They, they go up or down a few weeks after the cases um, have changed. So here we can see right here that among people who um, are 75 plus, um, the, the percentage of emergency department visits with diagnosed COVID-19 is, um, is down to 1%. So, uh, so that's nice. You know, that's not, that's not too, too high. So all of this, I would say is pretty encouraging. Uh, the CDC also has a wastewater surveillance page right here, which you can use. I'll show you some of the other ones I'd look at as well. Um, and um, you can kind of see, uh, you can see like the virus levels. And so what you can see is that it's low in many parts of the country, but there are, um, first of all, these spots that are 20 to 39%. And if you click over here, you can sort of see where, you know, the hotter places are. So we don't have very many that are there, but we have many more over here and still more turning up uh, over here. So um, so I look at this and think, okay, there is still uh, definitely some COVID um, going around. So it's lower than it was, which is great, but it doesn't appear to be super low or all gone. 
Um, now, if you want to look at some other wastewater um, options, um, this is BioBot right here. Um, they have a nice, easy to use uh, interface and it goes way back. Um, so part of what I can see from this is that, okay, we are much lower than we were in January. Fantastic. We are lower than we were last summer. Also fantastic. However, we are not as low as we were here. This is March 2022 and we had a pretty substantial lull um, and we're not looking as low there. Now this this green line is clinical daily cases, but those are now really not being reported. So I would not pay much attention to that anymore. And you can see how it stopped, you know, basically in May, right? When they stopped reporting daily cases. Um, so, um, and we can see also that this level here is not as low as this was the summer, the beginning of the summer of 2021 before I think this was the Delta wave um, happened. So again, this is better than this but it's not low like this and probably not as low as this. So just something to keep in mind. And then over here, uh, you can put in your state. So San Francisco um, is not uh, being monitored by BioBot. Um, however, some counties very close to us are. So this one right here, um, Alameda County is where Berkeley is across the bay. So you can see they had a little like blip up kind of stable here. Contra Costa County is also not very far. Um, so um, check and see if your county is uh, here. And even if it's not, um, you might find counties that are near you. But still, you know, we can see nobody's showing a sharp trend up for the most part. Um, well, with the exception of this one right here. Um, and then uh, for us in San Francisco, um, this is where we can find ours. So if you search your county or metro area and search wastewater, um, dashboard, you'll probably find, uh, you'll probably find something like this. So this data actually stopped. This site stopped reporting in the summer of 2022. They sort of turned it over to a different reporting, uh, network. Seems to have rebooted the whole thing. Let me find my sewer shed again. Oh. Um, for San Francisco, most of the city is actually apparently in the southeast sewer shed. So I'll pick that one. Okay. So we're kind of up here. Now, um, you should know that wastewater data at local sites is what we call noisy. It tends to bounce up and down a lot. So I wouldn't put too much stock in a, any single number, you kind of really have to look at the, the trend. Um, and so again, you know, higher than it was here in March of 2022 for, for San Francisco. So we're kind of at a, a plateau that's, you know, I don't know, medium low rather than very low. That's uh, possibly what I would um, describe it as. Um, and then another thing that I like to look at, um, because I'm a geriatrician focused on frail older adults, is the long-term care um, dashboard. So the nursing home COVID dashboard. Now, this seems to still be reporting weekly, which is really, really nice. Um, so here they're showing cases among residents. I also think nursing home residents are more likely to be tested and have it reported than the general public. 
Um, if you right click, you can see it as a table, which I find often makes it easier to look at uh, the numbers. And so the weekly COVID um, cases in the nursing home are at 2,500. So uh, again, that is pretty low, but not as low as over here. Um, and then you can look at deaths as well. And um, the deaths, the deaths are low. And I think the deaths are lower than case counts. And that's because, you know, a lot of people who are very frail or fragile have already died um, of COVID. So that's not to say that more people, you know, can't die of COVID. Um, in fact, what we know is most of the people who are getting hospitalized and dying are um, older adults. Um, but um, many people at this point may have already had COVID uh, once or twice before. Paxlovid is an effective treatment. So see, we're kind of, you know, getting to the range. This again is March of 2022 uh, right here. So in terms of deaths, that's looking uh, quite good. Um, and then if you want to see the variants, the CDC is continuing to um, do some testing for genetic variants of COVID. This has become less interesting to me just because, um, so now we have XBB 1.5, which, you know, replaced the prior one, which was BQ um 1.1 back in february it really took over but it didn't correspond with an increase in cases we actually saw cases and hospitalizations keep trending downward even as this variant you know continued to achieve dominance so now we have a few new ones right here uh xbb 1.9.1 and um another one over here let's see this one um 1.16 that are going up um but so far you know, as the Omicron subvariants have been shuffling around, we're not seeing it result in more cases. Um, and so it might stay that way until we have a really new variant come. So we've been with Omicron, that same letter of the Greek alphabet, for a year and a half right now, which, you know, is actually really interesting. Um, so my guess is at some point there'll be another variant, but I'm not aware of one on the horizon. So that is all really reassuring. And then I just want to show you quickly... Um, this CDC report on um, COVID-19 mortality in the United States. And they show how many deaths we had of COVID in 2020, 2021, and 2022, broken down by age range. And what is really striking is um, the biggest number last year was this group, which is over 85. And this is not a large proportion of the population that is over 85. But you know, a very large chunk of the deaths. This is where the most deaths happened last year. Now, in 2021, uh, we had, you know, um, lots of deaths also in 65 to 74 and 75 to 84 um, because we have way more people <laughs> in those age groups. But this, again, speaks to the fact that this is really, you know, especially now as a lot of people have some immunity to COVID either through vaccination or having had COVID or both, the people who remain the most vulnerable are the people in these older age ranges, especially over age 85, but also I would say uh, over age 75. Um, and then younger people who are at higher risk, usually those are people who have chronic health conditions that um, cause them to be hospitalized, right? So it's those are the ones who are especially at risk. So important to keep in mind. Okay, let me take you back to the slides. Um, so... Based on all that, 
you know, my assessment of where is COVID. So we no longer have the daily counts of COVID cases, which was inaccurate these past six months, but was still something, <laughs> um, or of daily deaths. Um, but we have these estimates. We can follow the trends. And as I was showing you, everything has trended down the whole spring, which is great. Um, this is the lowest it's been. And it just, to me, still feels like it's not super, super low. Um, hospitalizations and deaths are down, but they are mostly happening in older adults. So I would say the COVID situation is pretty good, but you know, it's not gone. Um, so does that matter? And do you still need to worry about COVID? Well, I would say it depends on a couple of things. Um, the most important question is, are you or is the person you're concerned about at higher risk for severe COVID? So again, the risk factors are um, the older you get, the higher the risk. Um, so above age 80s, higher risk. Above 90, even higher. Um, in the 70s, higher. So so really, as people get past 50, every decade, the, um, the risk goes up. And I would say it becomes really noticeable around like, <coughs> um, certainly by 80s. Um, and people maybe in their seventies should also be considering, you know, taking some precautions. So, um, so that's one, uh, one question. Again, if you have chronic health conditions that sometimes cause you to be hospitalized, or if you're immune compromised, you're getting treated for cancer, you're on immunosuppressants for autoimmune disease, that probably puts you at more risk also. Um, another thing that I think about is have you had COVID already? And that's important for two reasons. So first of all, um, I don't recommend getting COVID as a way to boost your immunity. Um, but for people who get it and get past it, it um, assuming their immune system is reasonably functional, it's very effective <laughs> at prompting immunity. It's probably a better stimulant um, to generate protective immunity than the vaccine or the boosters are. So, um, so people who have already had COVID, especially if they've had it in the last six months, that reduces their risk of catching it. Um, and then when you have COVID, that gives you some insight into how your body is going to respond to COVID. There are some people who get COVID and have extremely mild symptoms. Um, and there are other people who feel crappy and it feels like the flu. And there are other people who feel so terrible that they wonder whether they should go to the hospital. Um, for the time being, that can give you some insight into what might happen the next time. Now, at this point, I know lots of people who've had COVID a second time. For many of those people, their second time was similar to their first time. I know people who had a very mild case the first time around and their second time was super mild. And I know some people who felt like they had the flu for five days and the second time it was like the flu for three days. Um, for those people who are at higher risk because of advanced age or chronic conditions, even if it wasn't that bad the first time, if you know, your immune system is aging with time, your chronic conditions might be worsening with time. So it's quite possible that even though you had a mild case two years ago, you could have a worse case this coming time. So just keep that in mind um, if you're older or have risk factors. So that's one consideration. Another consideration is, are you going to be exposing someone who is at higher risk, such as an aging parent? So if you are younger and healthier, then maybe you're not going to take feel the need to take so many precautions for yourself. But if you're about to go visit uh, an older relative who's in their 90s, that might be a time to take some precautions um, so that you don't inadvertently give COVID to your older relative. Um, likewise, if you're regularly visiting a frail older person in a nursing home, you might want to consider taking some more um, precautions. 
Another thing um, to consider is, is there a negative test required event coming up, such as a trip or something coming up where it would be disruptive to have COVID? So in my family's case, um, my children are going to a sleepaway camp uh, this summer, and both camps have decided to institute COVID testing. <laughs> um, right before arrival, they ask you to take a test, I think the day before, um, and then to take another one when you arrive because they don't they're trying to minimize the chance of COVID going around um, uh, the camp. Um, so it's not that it would be that bad for my children to get COVID. Uh, if they got it, um, they are vaccinated. They've had it. I'm not that concerned. However, it's very disruptive if they miss um, a trip that we have planned for, that we have paid for. Um, or likewise, uh, if you're going to take an international trip, uh, you might, even though there's no longer any testing required to go anywhere, you might consider taking precautions in the week or so before the trip, because who wants to be sick right before a trip or get somewhere after you've taken a long trip and find that you're sick and miss out on whatever you were planning to do? Um, so that is another consideration. And um, and I will say we had at my children's school, they had like a school trip where they asked everybody to test before. And there were a few kids who tested positive, <laughs> who didn't even um, particularly realize they had COVID. I think it's because they had sort of cold symptoms and there've been colds going around and uh, allergies going around, but they had to miss the trip. And that was of course, disappointing and disruptive to them. Uh, and then the last thing to keep in mind is just, do you have a sense of how much COVID is going around in your community? So as we were discussing, it's become hard to get, you know, accurate, up-to-date information about COVID. You can follow the trends. Those data sources that I showed you from the CDC or wastewater are usually delayed by one to two weeks. So if the trend before was down, you know, probably it has plateaued or is still going down, but you can't be 100% sure. At some point, it will start going up. And if it's been going up and you see that, and that was two weeks ago, you know, it may still be going further up. Um, so some other things you can think about is, you know, are you hearing about people who have COVID um, in your your community? Um, and you can also look at those wastewater signals for a little bit of insight as well. So otherwise, what are the risks of catching COVID now? Like, what do you have to worry about if you were to catch it? Um, what's our latest information on that? So if you're vaccinated and you are otherwise low risk, um, so especially if you have never had COVID before, and there are some people who still have not had COVID out there, but even if you had had COVID before, there's a small risk of long COVID. Um before when people, you know, were unvaccinated and getting COVID for the first time, it was maybe as high as, you know, 10 to 12%. Um, vaccination brings it down. It also seems less likely in people who have already had COVID. I would, for the purpose of thinking about your risk, I would put it at, let's say about 5%, one, one in 20. Um, and, um, and maybe a higher chance of, you know, not having a, Again, it depends on how you define long COVID, but in terms of not feeling entirely well or like yourself, um, you know, there's probably a little bit higher chance of feeling not well or entirely like yourself for a few months. Um, and then there is data suggesting that having COVID does increase your risk of long-term health problems like diabetes, cardiovascular disease, possibly even autoimmune disease. Uh, we're still trying to sort out what is the risk in people who 
are vaccinated because a lot of the studies that are still being published now are more in-depth studies related to following people who caught COVID in 2020 and early 2021 before um, they had an opportunity to be vaccinated. Um, so this is still an area where we don't know, but, you know, small risks there. And it's also still unclear how repeat infections affect uh, risk. So there was like a well-known study done at the VA um, with veterans who, you know, generally are disproportionately male and older. And where, you know, when they had a second COVID infection that did increase their risk of complications, um, not necessarily as much as the first time around, but, you know, all things being equal, it's better to not catch COVID um, uh, again. Um, so that's still being sorted out for people who who aren't veterans, but, you know, small increases. So here, I think it's a little bit about what's your What's your style in a way? There are some people who like to be quite careful and reduce their risk in every way possible. And there are other people who kind of feel like, eh, life, uh, life is risk. Um, now, if you're vaccinated and you are at higher risk of, um, COVID. So you are again, you know, in your eighties or older or have many chronic conditions, um, catching COVID, you do have some chance of being hospitalized and you could potentially die. I mean, there are people who are still dying of COVID every day. Um, and the risk does go up if you're not recently boosted. So boosters lower the risk of hospitalization for everyone, but it especially makes a difference for people who are older and already at higher risk because for people who are at lower risk, as is the risk of hospitalization is pretty low and the booster makes it even lower, but in absolute terms, it's a very small difference. So can you still catch COVID now? Well, yes, <laughs> you know, definitely. So it's certainly less likely than earlier this year, but it is still possible. And in fact, the CDC had an outbreak after um, their conference in late April. So they studied it in depth and publicized it in depth because I think they, they felt obligated to. So this was interesting. And ultimately, there were 181 cases out of 1,800 attendees. So that's about 10%. And 50% of those cases had no known prior COVID infection. And as far as I know, nobody got hospitalized. I think this, you know, was a group of working CDC professionals who, you know, are mostly of working age, who probably were almost all vaccinated. Um, but again, I think the fact that half of them were in people who didn't have a prior COVID infection speaks to the fact that uh, if you've never had COVID, it's going to be easier for you to catch it than for the other people who generally have had COVID. So I think this is potentially also reflects a group of people who probably had been pretty careful for quite a while. And then we're like, all right, we're done being careful. And then they got COVID. Is it a huge big deal? You know, no, but um, yes, you certainly could get COVID. So if you want to avoid catching COVID, what should you do? Um, so the main principles of how we catch COVID and avoid COVID have not changed that much. Um, COVID is basically an airborne disease. So it comes down to um, how many people around you are, you know, in a group around you, you know, are likely to have COVID. How much are people exhaling near you and how you know, much are those exhalations staying near you. So again, when we're outside, people's exhalations blow away very quickly. When we're indoors in a more confined area, they hang around a little bit more unless there's really good ventilation um, happening in the space. And then, you know, are you able to breathe in what people are exhaling near you? So when you wear a good N95 mask, uh, not so much. 
And when you don't, you can breathe it in much more easily. Um, so if you are thinking you'd like to avoid catching COVID, I want to say that I still believe that taking uh, protective behaviors are a um, are way more effective uh, as an approach. It's much more effective as an approach than relying just on vaccination or a recent boost. So you can consider masking in indoor public places, especially if it's crowded. Um, you can opt to do your exercising outside, you know, gyms. When people exercise, they actually increase the amount of stuff they exhale really substantially. <laughs> um, so you can do your exercising outside instead of in an indoor gym. Um, and you can try to do more, you know, as much of your socializing and eating outside or in well ventilated spaces. Um, and you can be selective. Maybe you're going to go to that indoor restaurant, but you can still wear you know, a mask if you're just walking around in a crowd and you don't actually have to have a mask off. That's a way to be a little bit more protective. Um, do you need to do it? Again, it depends on um, how at risk you are or whether you're concerned about exposing someone else and, you know, your style at this point, whether you're someone who wants to like do what they can to reduce their risk a little bit uh, or not. Um, if you're traveling, I would still encourage people to consider masking on the plane, especially when it comes to the jetway and during boarding, because that's when the airplane is not running its ventilation systems. And that's when carbon dioxide monitors have shown that people's exhalations accumulate um, quite a lot. Um, and then, you know, our cases are lower here in the United States right now, but there are some places abroad where recently they apparently have had um, some waves. Nobody is getting crazy surges as far as I know, but, you know, some places are uh, getting some some waves. So you can try to find out, um, try Googling your destination and um, looking it up to find out if cases are going up or down. So let me show you an example of what that might look like because somebody was asking me um, about, you know, travel right now. So let's see. Okay, so for instance, if you were going, let's say to Thailand, lucky you, um, you could Google something like Thailand COVID cases. Now, I would recommend clicking news and then over here, under tools, there is a spot where you can um, restrict the results to, I would restrict it to either the past week or the past month. And so here we see that there's an article from Thai PBS World. And it looks like cases have been going up <clears throat> in Thailand right now. Um, and this might be about whatever subvariant they have going on. And also, we think now that cases will, to a certain extent, go up just when it's been long enough since the previous wave that a lot of people's immunity may have like waned down um, a bit. So that would be, you know, one way to check if you were going to travel. So let me address now a few frequently asked questions regarding boosters. So one, I never got a booster. Should I get one now? So again, we're expecting a newer booster um, this fall. So probably will be available, I, I guess, would be October. Um, um, also, October might be a good time to get it. You know, uh, so that would be about two months, early October, before uh, an expected winter wave. We've seen every winter that in the United States, we get cases go up after um, Thanksgiving, partly related to being indoors and the travel, and then also with the winter holidays. Um, 
So if you never got a booster, should you get one now? I would say definitely if you're older or higher risk. Um, if you're younger, the absolute benefit is much lower, especially if you've had COVID before, especially if you've had COVID in the past um, year. So that would be my suggestion there. Um, but yes, if you're if you're older, whoops, uh, I think you should get one um, for sure if you're over 65. Uh, and then um, if you're older and you got a booster last fall, should you get a second one right now? Um, well, getting a second booster will definitely reduce your chance of severe COVID. And then it will um, somewhat reduce your chance of catching COVID. So again, I would think about it as how at risk are you? You know, are you much older than 75? Do you have those chronic conditions? How much travel or mixing with crowds will you be doing? Because travel and mixing with crowds is partly a question of exposure. And then also traveling, um, it's disruptive to be sick while we're traveling. And traveling is in of itself a stressor on the body. And I think it's easier to get sick when we are traveling. So, um, you know, it's true that a second booster could be helpful for that. Now, um, how can you know if you catch COVID nowadays? What has changed on that front? Uh, the answer is not so much. The symptoms are the same as they've been since Omicron came along. So it can be anything from a mild runny nose, um, especially if you've already had COVID. So that can be very hard to tell apart from allergies or just garden variety colds um, to sore throat, fever, cough, feeling really crummy. Um, rapid tests do still work, but especially in people who have been vaccinated or have already had COVID, um, you can have symptoms for a few days before they test positive, before they turn positive. They should eventually turn positive. It just might take three, four days. Um, so if you do develop symptoms that could be COVID, feeling blah, runny nose, little cough, um, consider taking a few steps to not pass it on to other people. So, um, you could wear a mask when you're indoors with crowds. You could suggest to people if you're going to meet with them, how about we meet outside? Um, and really think about that, especially if you'll be seeing frail elders or others who are at risk. If you do catch COVID, Paxlovid, the medication remains very effective. There was a study that came out earlier um, the spring in March showing that some variants were starting to develop some Paxlovid resistance, but it hasn't yet become um, clinically significant as far as I know. So they're just starting to see the first signs of it. So for now, uh, I would consider it still extremely effective and I would recommend it for any older adult or person who is at higher risk who gets COVID. And remember, you're not supposed to wait until you feel very sick to take Paxlovid. Paxlovid is supposed to be prescribed to people who have the risk factors, not because they are severely ill. If you wait until the person's severely ill, you may have missed your window to be effective with it. Um, and again, Paxlovid can interact with certain medications, especially cholesterol medications. It's usually possible to get around that. So don't let them give you the runaround. I will again share a link to the FDA Paxlovid eligibility checklist. So if you get COVID and you're older, take a look at that and use that to um, help make sure that you can get Paxlovid if at all possible and to advocate. Also, if you catch COVID, I highly recommend resting, especially if you feel exhausted while you have um, COVID. Um, and then don't forget about household isolation measures. Um, they can definitely prevent transmission to housemates. Uh, so everyone in my household has had COVID, um, except me <laughs> so far. It will come to me someday. 
Um, and, uh, and when it happens, you know, the sick person gets isolated in their room. Everyone wears a mask in the common spaces. We open windows, run, you know, the, uh, air filters. Um, and right now we have not, for the most part, had transmission within the household. So it's, it's not a done deal. If one person has it, that everyone else is going to get it. Uh, and then the person who has COVID should, um, isolate, which means avoid exhaling into places where other people can inhale it um, until their rapid test is negative. So yes, you could walk around outside. I think that's fine um, without a mask, unless you're going to be standing, talking close to people. Um, but um, when your rapid test turns negative, that means you're probably not exhaling enough uh, virus to get anyone sick. So to wrap it up, COVID case counts in the United States are currently low, but not super low. Uh, and I am older adults, especially those who are age 80 plus and others with risk factors are still at risk of severe COVID if they catch COVID. So um, those people should consider a second bivalent booster now. Um, and I still recommend taking some precautions if you're at high risk or if you could expose someone who's at high risk. Um, so you can wear an N95 or a KN95 on the plane. Um, because I'm taking a trip soon, I'm right now wearing mine in the supermarket and not doing indoor dining as well. And again, that is not because I think it would be so terrible to catch COVID in general, although I prefer all things being equal to not catch it. Uh, my guess is I'm going to get it at some point, but I prefer to not catch it. But it's especially because I don't want to disrupt my trip um, that I have coming up. You can try to monitor local COVID levels via wastewater and CDC data. So follow the trends and just remember that the actual data will usually be delayed by one to three weeks. And um, should you or someone you know catch COVID, uh, I highly recommend Paxlovid for older adults and those at higher risk. You can use that checklist and otherwise wear a mask and otherwise isolate from others until you're negative on a rapid test. So thank you for watching this COVID update. Please be well. Have a wonderful, fun um, summer. Um, we should enjoy this time of lower COVID activity while we can. So thank you, everyone. Bye. Take care. And with that, I'm going to wrap up this episode of Better Health While Aging. If you have any questions about something you heard in this episode, you can post it on the show notes page for the episode. I'll also be posting some links to some of the resources that I mentioned in the episode. To find the show notes, visit betterhealthwhileaging.net and click podcast in the main menu at the top. Last but not least, if you've been enjoying the podcast, don't forget to support us by subscribing on iTunes. And if you've already done that, please leave a rating and review. This makes it easier for others to discover our show in iTunes, and I would love for the many people who are interested in health or aging or family caregivers to be able to find it and give it a chance. Thank you so much for listening. I'm Dr. Leslie Kernison, and I'm looking forward to you joining us for future episodes.